In this episode of Dudes of Kung Fu, Alex joins us from Italy, and I do nothing but make fun of him the whole time. Aside from that, we discuss grappling within Kung Fu, the new Bruce Lee biopic, and a bunch of other cool shit. So, listen up and have some fun. Dudes of Kung Fu! Welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of... Dudes of Kung Fu! Outstanding! God, I love this podcast shit. This is incredible. Alex, how are you, brother? Good, good. Well, you know, it's always like I, I feel it's where in the world is Alex Richter these days because when we do our podcast, I seem to be somewhere else every time. And now I'm actually in Italy of all places. Italy. God, that's so nice. Man, when yeah, I grow up, I, I want to be Alex Richter when I grow up. <laughs> me too. Me too. Whatever you think Alex Richter does, I want to do that. <laughs> I, I, I love things different, folks. I, would, I, I love Alex. I love everything about Alex except for like two things. We've explained his 1% body fat that that fucking drives me nuts. <laughs> and now there's a new thing that's entered my life that I just hate about Alex. He doesn't even know it yet. But see, mm. I'm, I, Alex and I aren't actually sitting at my kitchen table, right? He's in Italy. I'm in Staten Island. But we, like, video each other while we're, while we're doing this podcast. Thankfully, he's wearing a shirt. Thank you. Um, but he's got this baseball cap on. And think of, like, Will Smith had it, like, kinked it aside back in 1984. <laughs> I want to reach through the fucking video screen and straighten out his hat and give him a slap. I just... I just <laughs> it's like, you know... You- it just I, well, I don't I, want to choke him to death, but I'm thinking about it. Can can I can I tell you something embarrassing about me and hats? Um part of the problem is okay, I'm only five foot seven, so I'm I'm the same exact height Bruce Lee was, which is not an imposing height by any stretch of the imagination. However, I have an abnormally large head for my body size. So I have, you know, for people who wear a fitted hat, let's just say I'm nearly an eight. And I'm only five foot seven. I have a huge the problem is the hats that would normally fit people my height, which would be smaller and you could like bend the brim and stuff like that. And they would fit fine, would look great if I didn't have such a humongous head. So the problem is I have to get these somewhat oversized hats because I'm in between sizes. So they're so big that I just, I don't even bother bending the brim. I just leave them straight and I, I, I tilt them to the side and I'm just like, all right, whatever. I don't care. So um, you have to blame my weird freaky genetics for the fact that i have to wear a hat this size <clears throat> i'm sure that's part of the problem is but i think the other part of the problem is and god knows i love alex but the other part of the problem is i think alex spends an hour a day for that i don't care look i think <laughs> yeah you know, yeah, yeah i think <laughs> you'd be you can ask my wife i think you'd be shocked at how how I, I I walk out of the house sometimes forgetting you know my <laughs> shoes and stuff like that <laughs> so how's sunny italy brother Good, good. Um, it's beautiful over here. I'm actually working. Uh, this is part of the project that I've mentioned a few times uh, on the podcast. Uh, I'm we're working on a big project, not quite ready to announce it to the public yet. Some people uh, who are close to me know a little bit about it, but uh, basically we're working on a, a documentary project 
And of all places, it's actually brought me to Italy, although the, the focus is going to be in Hong Kong much later. But we are traveling all over the world for this amazing documentary project. And I can't wait to finally make the announcement. I think our podcast listeners are going to be quite excited about it. And so, yeah, it's bringing me to crazy places like Italy. Uh, I'm still nursing a really nasty pulled muscle in my thigh. I did a kick self uh, kick defense class last week in my school in New York. And of course, I'm a, you know, I did Taekwondo for seven years. I have a black belt. So I'm teaching my students how to defend against kicks. So, you know, I put the gloves on, I put the shin pads on, I start kicking my students and we did that for two hours. And the next day I had some kind of knot in my leg and I just couldn't walk. And then I finally felt like an old man and <laughs> it's been over a week later and I'm still kind of hobbling. I wish, uh, I wish I didn't have to deal with it, but yeah, it was pretty brutal. I don't even know how I did it. So, um, pains of uh, doing martial arts on a regular basis. Yeah, well, I don't know what that's like, you know, being, like I said, a 50, 51-year-old fat man. I'm I'm always aches and pains. Everything's always hurting me. It just, just shit hurts. It's just amazing. <laughs> just shit hurts. That should be your bio on Twitter. <laughs> Sifu Sean Madigan, just shit hurts. <laughs> <laughs> and people can draw their own conclusions as to what that means. Oh, man. So, listen, I uh, just another reason to be jealous of you. I saw some awesome picture on you on uh, Facebook with um, – uh, geez, uh, Sifu Wan, Wan Kem Lung. Oh, Wan Kem Lung. Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, you're at the UN? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I don't even know how I, mean, I end up doing happen. the things that I do. Um, so, um, yeah, for, for those uh, who might not know, uh, Wan Kem Lung or Wan Kem Lung is um, one of Wang Chen Lung's most senior, if not the most senior student. He teaches in Hong Kong. His style is called Practical Wing Chun. And He's basically uh, modified what he learned from Wong Sun Leung to, you know, suit his own um, research and, and, you know, his own tastes and stuff. So he's got a very, very unique uh, flavor of uh, Wing Chun. And I've met him a few times in Hong Kong. I actually interviewed him last year for uh, a project concerning uh, Tang Sang, who is one of Yip Man's students. So, um, and I think I first met uh, Wang Kam Leung in 2008 when I was in Hong Kong shooting the TV show Fight Quest. So, um, yeah, I've been, you know, he's been on my radar for a while. His school is like half a block away from uh, Sifu Leung Ting School. In fact, if you walk out of the door of Sifu Leung Ting School and just look up Nathan Road, you already see Wan Kem Leung's sign. He has a beautiful sign that sticks out like halfway over Nathan Road, these kind of signs that only exist in Hong Kong. And as a martial arts school owner in New York, I'm so jealous. If I could have a sign that hung over Sixth Avenue, it just like goes halfway across. <laughs> I would, that's like, you know, every martial art instructor's dream there. So um, Wang Kam Leung is a very successful student, a very super nice guy, very skillful of all the various factions within Yip Man, Wing Chun, and kind of offshoots and so on and so forth, I would definitely rate uh, Wan Kam Leung's Kung Fu very highly, and, and he's very well respected, and he's also very successful. So uh, he happened to be in town last week, and so uh, his student arranged uh, a a brunch for us. So I got to sit down and, and, and see and to talk to, to Sifu Wan for the first time in about a year. And we had a really, really great time. And one of the guys who was at the brunch uh, happened to uh, know somebody or one of the guy's students worked at the UN as an interpreter and then got us in there with some kind of special security clearance and then took us to all the secret places where, where they have all those meetings. <laughs> and cool, so, uh, yeah, it was cool. And then, you know, what we were basically getting a tour of the UN and then uh, Sifu Wan uh, was like, 
Uh, hey, Alec, well, he calls me Waito. Waito is my Chinese name. So he says, hey, well, well, Waito, come over here. And then we, we took some some Kung Fu photos and stuff. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, I didn't think uh, he'd be into that, but he just kind of grabbed me and like, you know, we did a couple like, photos and punching photos and so on. Uh, uh, so, so, so folks, I just heard that, that. That sounds amazing. Dude, just for the folks that um, heard Alex break up a little bit on that one little thing, um, Alex is recording from Italy. So just for this episode, you're going to have to forgive us with uh, one or two breakups here and there. But um, Alex, just the last sentence that you said broke up a little bit. I wanted to just uh, remind people that you're on the other side of the freaking world. And Yeah, well, it's not even that. It's the, the, the Wi-Fi. For people who travel to Europe, like even Germany, which is a technologically very advanced place, they make the best cars in the world. But when it comes to internet and Wi-Fi and like those kind of communication networks, Europe is a little bit behind the U.S. Like they, they just like, they, they have very slow networks here. Their Wi-Fi is not as reliable. So uh, mm-hmm. I do apologize if I break out every now and again or break up every now and again. Uh, it's uh, not my fault. I got the best equipment here. I oh, bought yeah, it all. In, I bought it all in America. <laughs> Listen, you sound crystal clear right now. Just like that one sentence, you broke up a little bit. So I just wanted to. Yeah, so basically after, um, let me uh, just finish what I was talking about before, after that brunch with uh, Sifu Wang Kam Leung, hanging out at the UN and and had a really good time. Uh, He actually, um, for those of our viewers who know Chinese or maybe uh, um, have some connection to to Hong Kong, I I was in the Apple Daily, which is a huge Hong Kong newspaper. They did a report on my school last week. So it was kind of funny because I had not even seen it yet. And Sifu Wang, when he met me for brunch, had already read the article and seen the video and stuff so it was pretty funny um yeah so it's really weird like my life is kind of strange like i'm in a hong kong newspaper on friday i'm brunching with sifu wan kam on saturday hanging out with him in the un taking kung fu pics and then <laughs> next day i'm off to i'm off to italy so uh yeah it's uh, i'm you know consider myself very lucky to to be able to eke out a living doing what i i love to do and so and you know this podcast is definitely part of it I, i've enjoyed doing this and having a chance to dialogue with you on an almost weekly basis is a is a pretty cool thing. Oh yes, and you know, I mean, I break your I break your balls a lot, but you're a good guy, and you deserve all the success you get. Um, thank you, thank you. I am glad that you said almost weekly basis because we did miss last week, folks, and we apologize. Um, we 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 had a little listen. We just we 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 had scheduling conflicts, and we just couldn't get around it. We try and Look, we, never got, we, got, we got we got shit to do sometimes. It's used <laughs> for <laughs> to for full disclosure, if there's ever a week where we miss a podcast, it's usually my fault because I, I had to travel somewhere and I was like, oh, crap, I forgot. I'm not going to be here tonight to do the podcast or oh, crap, I forgot. They put a seminar on, on this night for me or whatever. So uh, just in advance, if there's ever a week that we miss one, you guys can pretty much just blame me. It's usually my fault. So. <laughs> Listen, I blame Alex all the time. So <laughs> me too, me too. That makes two of us. <laughs> I'm at work and I bump into a desk and I'm like, oh, fucking Alex, you know. <laughs> yeah. So um, I wanted to bring up something. I don't know if you had heard much about it, but um, 
there's a new biopic about Bruce Lee. It's called Birth of the Dragon, and it stars uh, Philip M, who's a Hong Kong actor. He's actually a, uh, grew up here in the States. I don't know if he was born in the States, but uh, he definitely grew up here. He grew up in the Chicago area. His father is a uh, um, is uh, Sam uh, Sam. M. He's a good friend of mine. He runs a martial arts school out there as well. And and so I, I know uh, I know his father. And the film just came out. It basically chronicles the time that Bruce Lee was in uh, Oakland when he just had left Seattle and he was kind of starting to to kind of get his name out there and, and, and teaching. And then, of course, he has this famous fight with uh, Wong Jack Man, which supposedly revolutionized his ideas about JKD and so on and so forth. So they created a, a film specifically about this time period, and it's called Birth of the Dragon. I saw the trailer, and you know, as as much as I want to support you know, my Facebook friends like Philip M and, and fellow Wing Chun people or whatever, I, I was not really super impressed with the trailer. It seemed to focus a lot, and that's part of the backlash about the film is that it's actually not even really about Bruce Lee. They made some white guy the main character so it's kind of about him meeting bruce lee and him i don't know helping to save some asian girl who is kidnapped or something like that or whatever so it's that typical hollywood thing where it's like they can't even make a bruce lee movie because you know the main star would be asian and they need to put some dumb white guys the main guy so the film has got all this backlash and shannon lee bruce lee's daughter even came out to say that um she found the film was you know uh, i don't know her exact words but basically said it was kind of atrocious and that the lee estate didn't support it and that they did it without um consent of the lee estate now when the lee family says that you know something is kind of exploitative and atrocious that definitely means something i mean let's not forget that they sell bruce t and they sold his likeness (laughs) to ufc they sold his likeness to ufc and they did sign off on that horrible tv series 10 15 years ago uh starring uh danny chan uh, as as Bruce Lee, which is one of the most unwatchable pieces of crap ever. So, uh, you know, w- whether it's because they didn't get any money or they really don't believe in it for the Lee estate to actually come out and say something, considering the crap that they have supported uh, about Bruce Lee in the past, it definitely says something. Now, I haven't seen the film yet, but based on the trailer, I can just tell you... Um, you would probably have to strap me into a movie chair with my eyes wide open, like in Clockwork Orange with those clips so I can't close my eyes for me to watch that movie. I thought the trailer was 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 pretty poor. And um, I don't know, did, did you hear anything about it? Have you talked you to know, anybody who's seen the film? We actually, we actually received, um, I heard about it from our listeners, actually. Mm-hmm. We uh, received, I'm going to say, about a half a dozen messages um, asking us our, our opinion of it. I had not mm-hmm. even heard about it. Um, I'm friends with a lot of uh, JKD and Wing Chun people on Facebook, and I. And next thing I know, like we we started getting messages about it, and next thing I know, the trailer starts popping up. I'm going to be 100% honest. I started watching the trailer. I watched it for 30 seconds and then clicked it off. I, you know, I really have no feelings on it one way or another. It's just another crappy movie about about a, a, a part of Bruce's life that didn't really happen. You know. Um, yeah, was there a fight with Wong Jokman? Yeah, I'm sure. I think it was probably blown up out of proportion. And I think that people have this misconception in their head about um, the fight. It gets romanticized as to, you know, Bruce Lee fought for the right of white people and non-Asians to study Kung Fu. I, I don't know how much of that I even believe because, I, you know, 
I've been told by um, students of Wong Jokman that he had non-Asians in his class. So, right. you know, so I, I think a lot of that is bullshit. I'm sorry. I don't mean to upset any Bruce Lee people, but I just think a lot of that is bullshit. I, I, I think the big thing with, with, Wong, with, the, with the Wong Jokman fight brought to Jeet Kune Do was I think it made Bruce Lee realize the importance of attribute development over technique. I think um, before that, he was still very much in a classical Wing Chun mode, just changed the name of it to uh, Li Jun Fang Gong Fu. And I think it was that and his love of boxing. I think he was, you know, they, they say he was winded after the fight. Um, he felt it took too long. These are all things that are based on attribute development. It wasn't that he didn't have the right techniques for it. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, I need to start absorbing Muay Thai into my Jeet Kune Do. It was he needed to update his attribute developments into a more sport-oriented type of training methodology as opposed to a, a, a classical training methodology or what the methodology was at the time. I think that um, if you looked at the way Ali trained, boxers of the day trained, I think that was what was missing from Bruce Lee's routine. And I believe, again, I'm not a historian, so it's probably better off to talk to uh, Lee historians. But, you know, try and pick Lee historians that don't um, beat off the little Bruce Lee dolls at night. Try and actually read, you know, <laughs> that actually, like, understand Bruce Lee's history. But I think it was, when, it was after that time that um, you'll see Bruce Lee's own personal training, his own personal methodology changed. He started running. He started doing more modern-type training for its day. And, and I think that was the benefit of the Wong Jokman fight, the, I, that it helped Bruce Lee understand that he needed to up his game as far as his own personal training methodology as opposed to changing John Fan Gong Fu into Ji Kundo, which is just sheer nonsense. Yeah, well, I think you're absolutely right. There, there are a number of things with the Wong Jackman story, which I think are uh, interesting. And of course, you know, all these years later, everything is pretty much just hearsay and secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand. And, you know, there's something in logic called the hindsight effect which is that um, it's very easy to kind of look back at things that happened in the past and go, clearly, this is the reason why X and X happened. You know what I mean? Because you can basically take a story or take a narrative, which is the narrative that the Lee estate has promoted or other students of Bruce Lee have promoted. And this is a tailor-made story to kind of fit into, well, clearly, um, this is the genesis of Jeet Kune Do, and this is why Bruce had to change. Now, no doubt the fight did have some kind of effect on Bruce's psyche, because if you read um, Letters Letters of the Dragon, which is Bruce's book of – it's basically a collection of all his, his handwritten letters from basically the time he left Hong Kong till the, the last letter he wrote, which was on the day of his death. It has all these letters in there, and what I love about Letters of the Dragon is that it's not – it's not somebody interpreting Bruce Lee. It's not somebody talking about Bruce Lee. It's Bruce Lee's private letters to all sorts of different people. So it's, it is Bruce Lee. And if anybody wants to get a feeling for what Bruce Lee was like, they didn't have emails then. 
they didn't have he didn't have lots of interviews, but you can see his handwritten letters and what he said privately to people. When you start to read letter after letter after letter, you start to get a feel for what he was probably like. And that time period after the Wong Jack Man fight, do you remember what his nickname for Wong Jack Man was? I do not know. It was the runner. Because wow. apparently when Bruce stormed in with his punches, Wong Jack Man just ran away. And it pissed Bruce Lee off because he basically had to chase this guy. Like the guy didn't even really want to fight. And, of course, nowadays you talk to students of Wong Jack Man or whatever. So they, they will even tell you Wong Jack Man beat Bruce Lee. The only thing I, I mean, first of all, who the hell knows? Second of all, um, it's a lot like uh, – historian or revisionist historians, they say all these things after the person died. Like there's all these people that say that Yip Man secretly learned from Chu Chong Man from the Wang Chun people in Dai Dak Lan or whatever. It's like, well, that's a great story. Maybe it happened. But how come the story only came out 30 years after Yip Man died? You know what I mean? Or somebody says that he, in the middle of the night, secretly learned advanced special secret traditional Wing Chun from Yip Man. Well, that's great, but how come none of this existed in the time of Yip Man, and how come nobody else does it? How come it only comes out after he dies? How come Wong Jack Man Bruce beat up Bruce Lee? He didn't say a damn thing until Bruce Lee died, and suddenly he's the one who beat him. And I just find it a bit insincere. The, the narrative that that Wong Jack Man was defending the fact that Bruce Lee was teaching non-Chinese is is total nonsense. And I think I even mentioned on the podcast before, I mean, uh, Chinese martial artists are so sectarian. Not only do they not give a crap about other Kung Fu styles, for the most part, of course, there's always exceptions. And I'm talking a little bit more about the traditional, the old school guys. And nowadays, the landscape has changed a little bit. But let's just think back in the 60s of traditional Chinese Kung Fu Sifus cared about their own style. So if they were a master in Hong Kun or Choi Le Fat, they only cared about their style. And honestly, they usually only cared about their specific lineage of their style. If somebody was from another lineage of their style, they'd be like, whatever, who the hell cares what that guy's doing? He's doing the wrong lineage anyway. Ha ha ha, right? Uh, so why would Wong Jack Man, who was, uh, from what I understood, it's a very traditional northern Shaolin style. I think he did Law Hong Kun, um, which, is a, which is basically the Law Hong Fist. Why would he care about somebody teaching Wing Chun to non-Chinese? It wasn't even his own style, you know? And, and so it just seems ridiculous that somebody would protect the honor of a style that's not even there. Second of all, most people know why Wong Jack Man was pissed off at Bruce Lee is because he was losing students to him. I mean, here comes Bruce. He's this brash young guy teaching something that's, you know, an aggressive style like Wing Chun, which is very practical and totally different from everything else that was on the scene that day. And suddenly no one wants to learn traditional hand forms and jumping up and down and stuff. They're going to Bruce Lee. Uh, so the the motivation is usually always financial. It's just in hindsight, it was, oh, he was fighting for the honor, blah, 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 blah. But um, I just find that uh, a little bit suspicious given the landscape of what actually goes on with Chinese seafood. So um, I never really bought that. So that story that just seemed fishy. And this movie isn't helping that because now they've made Wong Jack Man a Shaolin grandmaster from the temple or whatever. And oh, Jesus God. yeah, he comes in with the robes and he's from Shaolin and he's like the enlightened Kung Fu guy and Bruce is the young punk from Hong Kong or whatever. And it's just so ridiculous. And the other thing that bugs me, it's like the actor who plays Wong Jack Man speaks Mandarin in the film, or at least he did on the trailer. And it's like, wait a minute, you're from Shaolin. 
You speak Mandarin, yet you have a normal name like Wong Jack Man instead of a monk's name, and Wong Jack Man is a Cantonese name. <laughs> How can you speak Mandarin with a Cantonese? So there's all sorts of things that I'm I have this like cognitive dissonance in my head while I'm watching it, and my brain is about to explode, and then I'm like, I don't think I can actually sit through this film without wanting to bash myself in the face with a hammer. Relax, have some Bruce tea. <laughs> They they haven't imported it to Italy yet. If they did, I, I would have I would have a whole case of it right now. Trust me. Don't fall out of the gondola. Alex is by the way recording this podcast from a gondola. Got <laughs> the traditional Italian outfit on and everything. <laughs> with the stripes, the striped with the, shirt. Oh, with the striped shirt, he looks very dashing. It's, it's, uh, we. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help myself sometimes. Alex, we have a question from a listener, sir. Do you have a? Uh, what do you think? Well, I got nothing going on. You have anything going on? Why don't we start answering some questions from people? Yeah, I usually have nothing going on, so we, can, we might as well go for it. It's an interesting question. Um, this, this young man has written in other times before, and he always has good stuff. John Rubin Arrington wrote in, uh, We know that Chinese martial arts does not have a ground game like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <clears throat> he does qualify by saying like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Having said that, what would you do strictly as a JKD or Wing Chun specialist to A, prevent going to the ground, or B, what would you do if you do go to the ground? I am talking about a self-defense situation and not where two people are squared off bouncing around and agreeing to fight. Uh, thanks for your insights and blah, 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 blah. What do you think, man? Um well, you want me to well, tackle it first, or you want to tackle well, it first? Or? Yeah, I mean, I, I, well, I don't really have a whole lot to say about it. I mean, well, first of all, uh, to say Chinese martial arts doesn't have ground fighting like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, no martial arts have ground fighting like Brazilian jiu-jitsu, except for Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's like that you, you could you could swap out any martial art land or lineage or style and say they don't have ground fighting like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's like, well... Wrestling doesn't have ground fighting like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Neither does boxing. <laughs> neither does neither does Kali, and neither does ninjutsu. So I mean, uh, Chinese martial arts always unfortunately get attacked a, a, a lot more harshly than other martial arts on this thing. Second of all, Chinese martial arts do have ground fighting. It's just a lot of the ground fighting styles uh, were not as popular. They came from the north. There are plenty of throwing styles like Swai Jiao, and there's there's Chinese wrestling, Mongolian wrestling, and where. Do they think a lot of the original jujitsu techniques came from? These original jujitsu <coughs> techniques came from China. So while Wing Chun or some, certain martial arts may not have specific ground fighting per se, to say that Chinese martial arts doesn't have ground fighting or whatever, that, that's actually just ignorance. So um, I have to qualify it with that as a kung fu nerd. All right. So um, <laughs> I, I, well, I, have, I have books. I have books on Chinese wrestling from the 1920s. Okay, and they have. Arm bars, rear naked chokes, uh, throws, mount controls. They have all, all leg locks, all sorts of stuff. And that's that's an old book from the 20s, and that was an old ancient style then. So it's always like, wait, wait, Chinese martial arts doesn't have ground fighting, or you just don't know about it, right? It's like like Bruce Lee saying Wing Chun only has one punch. It's like, wait, Wing Chun only has one punch, or you only learn one punch. You have to be, you have to always qualify the statement, right? So um, second of all, uh, nowadays I don't think that there's anybody who's really um, – 
Well, anybody who wants to address the problem of grappling or ground fighting or, or modern day martial arts or whatever, if you're serious about addressing this problem, I don't think there's anybody who's quote unquote pure anymore. Um, of course, you have people who practice solely their traditional martial arts, and uh, they may understand that if a wrestler gets a hold of them, that, that it's probably going to be a very bad day for them. Um, and then you have traditional martial arts people who are like, well, if a wrestler tries to grab me, I'm just going to stick my you know, thumb in his eye and blah, 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 blah. And those people are also living in a delusion. Um, but I think nowadays, I mean, Wing Chun is a style that's flexible. It was designed to fight against other martial arts styles. It was originally designed to fight against long arm northern styles, for example, among other styles. So in the modern day, if we continue to develop Wing Chun to fight against other martial arts styles, we're actually staying in with the tradition of Wing Chun. Nowadays, we don't fight Chole Fat people or Hongar people on the street. We have somebody who's a street fighter, might be a wrestler, might know some Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or something like that. So for Wing Chun to remain relevant, we need to train our Wing Chun against these type of attacks. All right? Now, Wing Chun has a lot of things in there that can be used successfully to stop somebody from taking you down, but... I qualify that with you have to train it and two, you have to have a little bit of an understanding of how somebody's trying to take you to the ground, what their aims are. And, and in my opinion, you need to train with that a little bit so that you know what it's like to have the pressure of a wrestler on your Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy or what it's like to have, uh, you know, 200 pound Tom DeBlas UFC fighter like <laughs> uh, mounting you on top, crushing all the wind out of, out of you. And then, you know, oh, that's what that feels like. And that's why it's not that easy to get out of this position right so um i've gone through great pains to train in other martial arts brazilian jiu-jitsu kickboxing thai boxing regular western boxing to make sure that when i teach my students um they understand from the best information how these guys are going to attack them and then i give them very solid responses some of them i've modified a little bit from the classical wing chun to make sure that they work and others i have developed using my understanding of traditional wing chun my understanding of how Wing Chun functions, I've, in my opinion, I mean, the other people probably came up with the same things I have. I've improved some of the ways that Wing Chun, for example, handles a tackle or handles a headlock or whatever, right, based on my training with these other guys. So um, it depends on the individual style. Uh, it depends on the instructor. It depends on whether the style is constantly developing or we're talking about a museum piece. If you're looking at the museum piece of 1950s Wing Chun or 1960s Wing Chun, Okay, if you're looking at any of those guys, and I don't care, give me the best student of Grandmaster Yip Man from the 1950s or 60s, and if if you put them up against a, a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, they're going to get taken down to the ground. I, I can I can guarantee you that. Okay, and that's not a knock on Wing Chun because I teach Wing Chun for a living and I love Wing Chun. The problem is they haven't seen it, they haven't practiced against it. Now put a Choi Le Fat guy in front of them or a Hong Kun guy in front of them, and they'll do fine because that's exactly what they've been training against. Put a Western boxer. A Western boxer from that time period, maybe if they're lucky. A Western boxer from our time period, forget it. I would take the Western boxer over the 1950s Wing Chun guy any day of the week. So, um, but that's not a knock on Wing Chun. It's just a, it, it's it's like people it's like people who give Bruce Lee shit for um, the arm locks he didn't enter the dragon. They're like, oh god, that arm lock wouldn't work. Or if you do the bubble, it's like, dude, who else was doing arm locks in 1970? Who was like doing striking? Who else was thinking about wrestling and grappling and stuff like that? It's like you have to look at things in their time period. You have to, that which includes people, and you have to look at martial arts in the context in which they were developed in, and then you have to ask yourself, has the martial art continued? Continue to develop since then and in the case of my school and what I teach the answer is yes but I can't 
I can't answer that for another Wing Chun school down the street, or I can't answer that for somebody else. That's a, uh, that question has too many variables to even have an answer to. Right. I mean, I think what uh, Mr. Arrington, when he says like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I, I took it as when someone says like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, they mean effective. They mean that something has an effective delivery system like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Right. And to say that Kung Fu, Chinese Kung Fu, doesn't have a ground game like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I think in today's day and age, for the average martial artist, or the, even the well-informed martial artist, it's really not that that crazy of a statement, because I'll be honest with you, you don't see it. You just don't see it out there. It, 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 not, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but the most common average kung fu schools you go to are not addressing grappling in a realistic, effective manner. They, they don't have the delivery system that the sport uh, grappling systems have. Sambo, judo, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, wrestling. These, you know, these um, sport com- combat athlete martial arts have a, uh, a delivery system that works and kung fu schools and, and karate schools and most traditional schools regardless of um, uh, of style or whether they're Japanese, Okinawan, Chinese just tend to stay away from them. Now why? That could be a whole other podcast. Why? I mean I know Jeet Kune Do instructors that are terrified of going to the ground. They're terrified of going to the ground and for one reason only because on the ground, they're not a Sifu. Right. You know, on their feet, they're a Sifu. They can chisau with the best of them. Put them on the back, they're a fucking turtle on their back on a shell. They have, and so, if I, if I was going to say, if I was going to try and answer uh, Mr. Arrington's question, I would say they're, as far as the most common Kung Fu schools you're going to walk into, I don't know of many schools that address grappling in a realistic manner. I'm not saying that they don't exist. Alex's school is an example of where it does exist. But that's not the average school. The average school, it just doesn't exist. You, you'll, you'll hear bullshit like, oh, well, I'll just snap the fingers and I'll just stick the fingers, my fingers in their eyes and all this other crap that would get you fucking killed on the street. You know, many years ago, one of... Um, Matt Thornton's guys said, what makes you think you can beat me without rules? You can't even beat me with rules. Right. And I think people forget that if, if we're in a street fight and there's, you know, biting, grabbing, sticking fingers in eyes, fish hooking, well, the guy who knows how to grapple, he's going to be better at that shit than you. Right. You know, he, he, he understands the positions. So is is if I was going to add grappling to my game and I'm a Kung Fu specialist or a Kung Fu stylist, I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm going to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm going to wrestling, I'm going to Sambo, I'm going to Judo and, and Kung Fu be damned. Or I'm going to do like what Alex said and hunt out for Kung Fu arts that have a grappling curriculum taught in an effective manner, well, you know, progressive resistance, where there's someone actually trying to stop you. And, you know, that, that's what makes, you know, 
Alex said, oh, you know, with a uh, a, a modern-day Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu purple belt or a boxer versus students of Yipman back in the day, why, why, why are you going to expect a modern-day fighter to win? It's because of the training methodologies they, they have now as opposed to back then. It wasn't because, you know, it's not a knock on the core system. It's a knock on the, 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 the training methodologies. But everything has progressed. You could take Absolutely. The best, you could take the best car from 1969 and put it against, you know, almost like the average car of today. And the average car today is just going to run better. Because there's, there's because there's a progression. Well, you know I think I mean? even even not, not to cut you off, but I think even a more specific analogy would be take a Brazil, take a Brazilian jiu jitsu guy from today versus a Brazilian jiu jitsu guy from the fifties oh, or sixties. Absolutely, take a boxer from today against a boxer from the fifties and sixties. Take a uh, take the most current Kyokushin full contact karate champion and put him up against Chuck Norris of the late sixties, and he would kill Chuck Norris. I mean, so but but the thing is when people hear hear stuff like that they think it's like a knock it's not it's it's actually the amazing thing about martial arts is that they continue to evolve and they continue to progress the problem is that in certain circles within traditional martial arts we so value our heritage we so value our lineage that we ascribe uh, sometimes almost supernatural abilities to the people, to the long line of people that we come from, because well, we respect them, we're very proud of it. But it's um, it's and it's not to say that we don't come from a long line of ass kickers and stuff like that. But everyone was an ass kicker in their time period. The same way you see it in UFC, you see some young kid come up who's a monster, beating everybody, maybe even wins the belt or whatever, keeps the belt for a couple times or whatever, and then somebody else comes along that just. They, they just have that secret to beat them and they just know and they're on the next level. And, the, and, and, and so that's the beautiful thing about martial arts. If martial arts was a fixed thing where it's we have all the knowledge that we're ever going to have about martial arts. We know everything we know about training. We know everything about everything. Um, it wouldn't advance and it wouldn't progress and quite honestly it wouldn't be nearly as interesting. I'm interested in the problems that boxing presents to Wing Chun. I'm interested in the problems that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu poses to Wing Chun, but not in a way where I have to go, well, I'm a Wing Chun guy, we just need the guy in the balls if he tries to grab me. In like, okay, using my Wing Chun concepts, using my understanding of how Wing Chun functions and using my understanding of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, how can I make this work? And sometimes you have to completely redevelop what you're doing. Sometimes you have to think of it totally outside of the box. But these questions are what actually make the martial arts grow and not the whole wholesale defending of what we do versus what, what they do. And this is a, an endemic problem in traditional martial arts because of the brutal hero worship that goes on. It, it's there's a difference between respecting where you come from, respecting your seniors, and the brutal hero worship that comes from coming from a line where somebody was a fighter once or somebody was a great teacher once and then having to defend that against any facts that are coming towards you. You have like this this firewall of nothing is going to penetrate because I believe in what I do. And that's the problem with traditional martial arts, in my opinion. Well, you know... Agree a hundred percent. I think. I think you know. Uh, we can, at some point, sometimes I just like to sit here and just listen to Alex talk because he just makes so much freaking sense. It's disgusting. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of free time to think about this shit. To, to be fair, <laughs> and, and, and as, he's piloting, as he's piloting his uh, gondola down the 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I just can't help it. Um, <laughs> you know, Jeet Kune Do is often referred to as scientific street fighting. Um, and, I, and I like it. I, I don't like the term street fighting, but I kind of like it. It's um, referred to as scientific. Um, but why is it called scientific? Because the scientific method is used not only in its creation, but in its progression. If you look at what Bruce Lee did and don't do what Bruce Lee did, you're missing the point. Now, when I say that, I don't mean in how he threw a punch. I mean in the creation of his art. What Bruce Lee did in his creation of his art... I'm sure without understanding or knowing the scientific method, it wasn't as, um, as, as well spoken about back in the 1960s as it is today. But he, he examined martial arts to make it progress. We, as JKD people, need to examine what we do and make it progress. What's the scientific method? Ask yourself a question. To find a problem, do some research, come up with a hypothesis, test your hypothesis, analyze your data, draw your complete conclusion, and move on. You have to sit there and, 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 how, and how do you do that? Well, I would say one of the best ways of doing that is sparring. You're going to spar with your buddies, your, your, your seahings, your classmates, and you're going to run into a problem. If you don't run into a problem... You're not really sparring. Everybody runs into a problem sparring. And you're going to say, hey, listen, I have a problem here. I can't hit him when he does this. Or I can't prevent him from hitting me when he does that. You now have a question. How can I solve this problem? Well, let's do some research. Think about it. Say, you know what? You come up with a hypothesis. You know what? Maybe if I do this, I can solve that problem. How can you test your hypothesis? By fucking sparring. Putting the gloves on and say, you spar a little bit. If the situation doesn't present itself, you say, hey, Alex, do me a favor. The last time we were sparring, you did this, and you scored on me. Can you try and work that into the sparring a little bit? Let's test the hypothesis. Test it with a few other guys. Analyze your data. Sit there and say, okay, this happened. Let me adjust this. And draw your conclusion and make... You need it. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to Jeet Kune Do, you, but mostly you owe it to yourself to progress in the way Bruce Lee progressed in a scientific way. This is not religion. This is martial art. And there's a huge difference. People, when you look at martial art as religion, then you live in the world of fairy tales, folks. That's when you live in the bullshit of, oh, my seafood could beat up nine men. And you look at um, movies like uh, Yip Man when, yo, you know, Bruce Lee beat up 11 black belts and, and believe that shit. You know, you have to present the problem, analyze the problem, fix the problem. Don't look at it like a religion. I don't know even what's, what sparked it, but that's what I, <laughs> I keep always saying. Well, you know what? Um, actually, what you just said is 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 a very lucid point. And if you think about it, that's exactly what the founder of any new martial art most likely did. 
they were, were faced with some kind of problem tactically. Maybe they had done some other martial art. Now there's a new martial art on the scene that they need to learn to fight against. So they need to redevelop their methods because what they were doing before wasn't working. So most traditional styles, I believe, were actually created this way. Okinawan karate was created out of necessity when, when the Japanese were attacking them. You know, the samurais came in, they had weapons, the Okinawan farmers didn't have any weapons. They needed to figure out a way to defend themselves, so this is based out of need. And so they had to test it, and it either worked or didn't work. The problem is, the and, and I've said this before to my own students, and I, I don't think people really understand this, but I see it happen time and time again. The founder of any style of martial art is usually extremely progressive and non-traditional because if they were traditional, they wouldn't have created their own style because they wouldn't dare break away from whatever they did before, right? So for a new style to be created, they have to be untraditional, right? Right, so exactly. They come up with something. It's usually totally, I mean, think about Wing Chun, when it first came on the scene, let's say Wing Chun, as we know it, of course, Wing Chun has always changed, but let's just pretend Wing Chun came on the scene in the 1850s in the package that's more or less what we know it now. Can you imagine that? It comes out in the 1850s. It's like the newest thing, the newest technology, simultaneous offense and defense, sticking skills like you wouldn't believe, simple forms, not complicated forms, low kicks, aggressive attacks. This is the coolest stuff in the world. And it is exactly what they needed to fight the other styles. And then you know what happens? It becomes institutionalized. And once it's institutionalized, then whatever innovation, whatever um, forward thinking or forward mindedness the founder had has been completely killed. And then so the inventive spirit that created any martial art is already dead by its second generation. And by the seventh generation, sixth generation, forget it. You change the angle of the pinky and the wusao, and you're a freaking heretic. You know what I mean? So uh, this is uh, a, a big issue because exactly what you said, the scientific method is, I believe, what every proper martial arts founder has actually done. And their second students, their successor or whatever, kills it by institutionalizing it. Right. I mean, when you when you take... When you take something that's alive and make it dead, you, you, you it's, it's gone forever. And that's why when people say, should I do what Bruce Lee did? I always say, yeah, you should. Don't listen to Bruce Lee. <laughs> do you know that old, that old Japanese quote? Um, it's, it's by Matsuo Basho, I think. Uh, people post it on, time, on, on the internet all the time in memes, and it says, uh, seek not uh, – I want to make sure that I say it right because if I butcher it, you know, our, our very rabid listeners are going to yell at me, right? It's um, seek not what the old masters did, seek what they sought. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a huge distinction in there because the, the master, the old masters or the founders were trying to problem solve. But the current leaders of whatever style are not thinking about problem solving. They're thinking about passing on a museum piece. Right. They're no oh, longer. Yeah, they're no longer in that. They're no longer in that process or whatever. And they take. They take great pride in it. And hey, there's nothing wrong with coming from a long line of uh, whatever great martial art and preserving certain tenets and and techniques or whatever if they're relevant. But 
the the spirit of innovation and problem solving sh- can never die. And and look at MMA and look at Brazilian jiu-jitsu. They constantly have to solve new problems because people are coming up with new transitions in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the old days, they didn't even do a lot of leg locks in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? And now leg locks is like the thing. If you don't know leg locks, you can't even go into a Brazilian jiu-jitsu competition, right? So now they have entire systems of leg locking in Brazilian jiu-jitsu that had to become developed because it became a problem right. sambo guys sambo guys were leg locking brazilian jiu-jitsu people and suddenly they go okay we need to figure this out Trish, chinese martial arts and wing chun in general doesn't really have this problem because it's so incestuous it's so stuck in with the same people in the same family that the problem solving uh, opportunities are actually very little because they they, they keep it so self-contained that there are no new problems are introduced All right well that's one of the first things i um learned from Steve Golden was uh, learning to solve the problem that, that's presented to you and, and, and work, towards the, work towards the solution that you want and not the flippant answer. Um, many, many years ago, I had said to Steve in an email, believe it or not, Steve, how do you shut up so-and-so when they say this? And I don't want to say who so-and-so was because it'll piss off half our audience. <laughs> and his answer to me back was, why do you want to shut them up? And I'm like, well, they're always saying this. And he's like, well, instead of getting them to shut up, why don't you try and express your opinion? And maybe they'll say something different as opposed to shutting them up. Understand the problem and understand the desired solution before you go about trying to change things. My, my, my goal was actually not to shut somebody up. My goal was to try and get the best way of giving a point, giving, understanding what the best way of giving, like getting my argument across. You know, I think the example that Steve gave me was if you were having a fight with your wife, do you want to come to a conclusion that you're both happy with or do you just want to shut her up? you know what let me think about that for a while (laughs) but no he was right you know and um i think one of the best ways if you want to honor bruce lee one of the best ways you can honor bruce lee is one i think i do think you should learn his system if you're going to say you're doing jeet kundo you should actually learn jeet kundo but then when you have a core base the best way for you to honor bruce lee is to continuously progress in your research and strive for simplicity. If you can come up with a better, more simple way of doing things that's as effective or more effective than the way Bruce Lee did it, change it. And then have a set of nuts and name it something else. (laughs) You, You know what I mean? Like... If you, if, if you can do something better, do it. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your students. Do it. Just name it something else. You know what right. I mean? Like, go for right. it. They, maybe the art of the intercepting foot. Right. 
Exactly right. <laughs> Cheat Gurkto. <laughs> now that I said that, so watch, it's going to come out next week. Someone oh. is the, the master of Cheat Gurkto. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Intercepting footway. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and hey, uh, speaking of Steve Golden, we kind of, uh, we kind of let the, the cat out of the bag that um we're going to have him as a uh, a guest in the next uh well actually I can't even say which episode it's going to be but I think uh um I'll have to I'll have to get Sean's feedback on this but it looks like um we're definitely going to have Steve Golden as one of our guests if you guys haven't seen already on the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page you should go on there and start posting some questions you have for Steve Golden. As, as you guys know, uh, Steve Golden is uh, Sean Sifu in Jeet Kune Do. He's a uh, China, L.A. Chinatown period student of Bruce Lee and has um, extensive experience teaching Jeet Kune Do. He's definitely a uh, more principle and concept-based Jeet Kune Do instructor in terms of teaching Jeet Kune Do as a, a principled art rather than just teaching the the, the mantelpiece techniques of Bruce Lee. And, and so I think you guys... Um, for those, most of you guys, if you're listening to the podcast, you definitely know who he is. Uh, we're very excited to have him. It may be on the next episode, maybe next episode after that, but definitely coming up. Uh, go to the Facebook page for Dudes of Kung Fu and write down any questions you have. And if we, uh, we already have a lot of questions already, so we're going to probably have to to sort them out a little bit for the best ones. Um, you know, we're not going to ask him, you know, what type of toothpaste Bruce Lee used or something like that. <laughs> uh, they 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 need to be relevant. It's questions that uh, we don't feel embarrassed asking. Will, will you sign my Bruce Lee bobblehead that I got? It's a super rare Japanese reprint of the original one from 85. Uh, no, we're not going to ask any of those questions. They need to be relevant to uh, martial arts, Jeet Kune Do, Steve Golden, and whatnot. So, um, yeah. Very, I am very excited about Steve Golden coming on the, on the podcast. He is phenomenal and when i say he is phenomenal i mean as both a martial artist and as a person he is one of the nicest people that i've ever had the opportunity of meeting and he is one of the best thinkers in the game and when i say thinkers in the game i'm talking about martial arts he the the first time i ever met steve he came walking off a plane carrying a book and the book was some, I can't remember the name of the science, but it was like, it was some scientific textbook. And he's come walked off the plane. I'm like, what the hell are you reading? You know, it's like, I actually wanted to like walk off the book reading Tao Ji Kune Do or some of the, I was still dorky back then, you know? And he's like, oh yeah, he goes, it's about, the book is like, you know, if you were gonna, if a jug of water fell over and the water came shooting out of the side, like how can you, um, figure out how far the water will shoot out as the, the level of the water comes down in the jug. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> he's, just, he's just an incredible thinker. And um, I, I, I love his expression of martial arts. I, I love his expression of Jeet Kune Do. I've learned so much from him and some of it even about the martial arts. And Steve Golden is going to be... It's a, he's a gem, and I, and I, and I just, I'm just, I, I don't know how, how to say enough good things about him. So please send in your questions. Uh, we will give all the better questions that we can to Steve, and um, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it because he's funny as, as funny as anything. 
By the way, are, are we going to have him on the next episode, or do we, do we have a date for that episode that we're going to do with him? I don't, I don't have a date. I'm thinking either the next one or the one after that. The fact that the problem is Steve's retired, and he likes to head off to – he has a little house out in the rainforest that him and his awesome wife uh, like to head up there. And the internet is not exactly the uh, – it's very strong up there in the rainforest. <laughs> they, need, they need somebody cranking the wheel to get the, uh, to get the <laughs> Wi-Fi working. Exactly right. So – but it will happen this season, probably within the next couple of weeks. And um, – it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I really look forward to that. By the way, not to, to shamelessly plug the Facebook page again, but a big part of the content we have for our Dudes of Kung Fu podcast are the questions that you guys write in for us. So whether it's for Steve Golden on that episode or you guys just have questions that you want to ask us, please go to the Facebook page. Don't forget to like it, all right? If you're just, like, writing stuff on there and you haven't liked it, then you are you are what's known as a lurker and you are lame. Make sure you <laughs> like the damn page. Make sure, make sure you write reviews for us on, like, iTunes because that stuff helps to get the podcast out there. So um, people don't think about it, but just writing a review on iTunes is, is tremendously helpful for increasing people, um, you know, listening to our podcast. So that would be really great. Go to the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page, uh, write in any questions you have for Sean or me or Steve or anybody or just questions you have in general. Doesn't matter if you think they're stupid or not. Uh, we still get the last right whether we're going to discuss it or not anyway. So just go ahead, try your best. Uh, we're also on Twitter, right, Sean? You set up a yes. Twitter page for Dudes of Kung Fu, right? Right. I, it's at Dudes of Kung Fu. At Dudes Twitter. of Kung Fu. And yeah, if you guys are on Twitter, you can also... <laughs> yeah, how long did it take for you to figure that one out? Um, also, if you guys are on Twitter, um, I have a pretty strong Twitter presence. Um, uh, Sifu Alex Richter is at City Wing Chun. Uh, well, that's Wing Chun is spelled W-I-N-G-T as in Thomas, T-S-U-N, right? So City Wing Chun. Uh, you follow me on Twitter. Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter. I'm a little bit more active on Twitter than I am on Facebook these days. So would love to get you a follow there if, um, if you guys are uh, interested in my weird random thoughts and the weird stuff that I post over there too. Sean's also on Twitter as well. What are you on Twitter? What's your handle, Sean? You know what? I have to look it up because I have no idea. But isn't, I, it like, isn't it like Big Sean Madigan oh, or something like you that? You know or? what? I think that you think you're right. It's Big Sean Madigan. That's it. At See? Big, at Big, I don't know. But it's Sean, S-E-A-N, Madigan, M-A-D-I-G-A-N. So it's at Big, at Big Sean Madigan. I can I retain have, a lot of information in this big head of mine. <laughs> well, listen, you know, I didn't want to bring that up, but yeah, that head is pretty freaking big. I, I, I actually have a question for you. Um, okay. But for me, not from since, – since you're so up on everything Wing Chun – Oh, God, now the pressure's on. Watch, I'm going to totally no, blow no, this no, question. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think there's a correct answer. So okay, for, me, for, for many years, I was always say uh, Wing Chun Kim instead uh-huh. of Wing Chun. I don't know why. I just always would always refer to Wing Chun Kim. Mm-hmm. And I put it in my notes, Wing Chun Kim, and I actually put it on my certificates, Wing Chun Kim. And mm-hmm. it was everything Wing Chun Kim. And then one day I'm sitting down with um, my Wing Chun Sifu, Tom Kagan, and like it was like the fourth time he read something that I wrote, and I see him kind of like like make a little smirk, and I'm like, and Tom's big on making a little smirk. I'm like, what's wrong? He says, Oh no, you said Wing Chun Kim. He says, um, you probably don't realize, but your Sigong Moyat wasn't crazy about that expression, Wing Chun Kim. He liked Wing Chun Pai. Mm-hmm. 
or just Wing Chun. Right. What? So you want to know what what the deal is? <laughs> I know. I, I know. Wing Chun Pai means like um, Wing Chun family or Wing Chun yeah, group or, or sect. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. What I was asking is. Do you use Wing Chun Kin at all? Do you use Wing Chun Pai? Do you just say Wing Chun? Do you what what do you um, do and why? And, and normally normally when I um when I speak Cantonese, I just say Wing Chun because Wing Chun is so popular now, people know what it is. Right. Um, in the in the old days, you have to imagine like when Grandmaster Yip Man would be interviewed for a new martial hero magazine or interviewed in the newspaper, he was kind of the first person to teach this in Hong Kong. So he was really the first person to give Wing Chun a name and people didn't really know what it was. So it wasn't recognizable even within Hong Kong. So he would have to put a qualifier. And the two most common qualifiers are Kun, Kun meaning fist. Um, but but if you put Kun at the end, it means a fist fighting style or a style of martial arts. Um, or you could put um, Pai, Pai meaning family or sect or clan, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um, the My issue is that I, I don't use Wing, Wing Chun Pai at all because Wing Chun has ceased to be a family a very, very long time ago. And it, it when, when people say Wing Chun Pai, um, I don't know what they mean anymore because the Yip Man Wing Chun Pai has fragmented so much that um, – you know, of course, we're all one family. You know, we say which means uh, uh, in the martial world, we are all one family, right? So that includes non-Wing Chun styles and whatever. Like, of course, I believe that all Chinese martial arts are one family. All martial arts are one family, so on and so forth. Um, having said that, though, uh, I just think Wing Chun Pai is is a... Um, it's a bit outdated because Wing Chun is no longer a small family or a small sect or a small clan. It's so popular. It's taught all over the world. It has so many factions and, and, and versions and, and branches and, and, and so on that um, I, I don't think that term is um, applicable anymore. I, I think that it was in the 50s and 60s, and then I think it, it ceased to be about 40 years ago. Um, it's understandable why certain sifus, like, for example, uh, Moyat, from what I understand, was you know very scholarly. He wouldn't maybe like the term kun, kun meaning fist, which doesn't really sound very refined or it doesn't really sound very scholarly. So it's understandable why he would have an issue with that for something else. And if he talks about Wang Chun Pai, he could mean in the greater sense of the family, or he might have just meant the Moya Wang Chun Pai. Yeah. So, so you know, I, I mean, that those are totally legit expressions of that term. Um, I don't use it. I mean, I, I, I say my school is a family, but but um, Wing Chun, in, in my opinion, is so fragmented. Um, and what I see what other, quote unquote, family members do, um, I become uh, less likely to want to use the term family. Um, however, there's another um, there's another term for the actual school itself, um, which is um for example, a martial arts school could be called a mo kun, kun, you know, everyone like calls it, everyone spells it like kwan or kun, but it's actually kun, like G-O-O-N with a rising tone, kun. It's just the problem is if you write it in English, it's G-O-O-N, it looks like goon. So nobody right. wants to say, nobody wants to write it that way. So they always put like a W in there to make it sound a little bit better. But but it's actually goon, right? Like you goon, right? So um, mo kun means martial school or martial house or martial dwelling. 
I don't I don't use that, for example, probably for the same reason that Moyat didn't like to use the word could. Feel that that martial house or or to say martial arts school mo sutkun or kun sutkun, it it makes it sound a little uh, a little unrefined, like this is a place you go to punch people in the face kind of thing, right? So that's actually why I opted to use the same name for my association as, as Yip Man did, which is athletic association. Because nowadays, most people don't practice martial arts because they have to get in a fight every week. You know what I mean? They do martial arts to improve their their health or their life, or it's a great hobby, or they want to learn some self-defense, but they really do it because they like it. So it's not up to me to say, you come to my school to learn self-defense, or you're coming to my school to learn to fight on the street, or you're coming to my school to learn how to get in better shape people want it to be. So the term athletic association, is basically a place where you come and practice and learn. And in that kind of almost old Greek way of the term athlete, an athlete in the original Greek term is somebody who develops themselves completely, physically, mentally, spiritually. It's it's a complete thing. It's not just the physical side. And that's why I prefer athletic association over Mokun or Kunsutgun or something like that. You know what I mean? Because so I originally called my school Whitehall Kunsutgun, which was the Whitehall, my Chinese name, martial arts school. And when I looked at it, I had a really interesting conversation with Dr. Mark Cheng, who was a, um, a guest on one of our podcasts. And he says, yeah, you know, I actually prefer some other term in Chinese because he doesn't like the term fist being in there. And I was like, you know what? He's right. Um, and I also took my name out of there, too, because I'm like, it's not about me. It's it's about the style. So I changed it from my Chinese name being the Whitehall Martial Arts School. I just changed it to City Wing Chun Athletic Association in Chinese because the art for me is much bigger than my name or anybody else's name. So I actually took my name out of it. I took the word fist out of it. And that's a deliberate um, change that I made based on some, you know, my ideas within Chinese semantics. So um, I would definitely agree with Moyad on that point, and, and those are my thoughts on that. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> that's all I got to say. Yeah, it's funny. I always have these weird diatribes. I'm like, and that's pretty much all I have to say about that. It's like, I know at some point it's like I could go on, but I'd actually just be repeating myself at some point. So uh, that's all oh, I got to say about that. <laughs> that's all I got to say about that. Thank you, Alex. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was awesome, dude. And you're, you're actually you. making me uh, think about um, things for me as well. I because uh, I, I I call my family Big JKD because I'm big and fat, but um, and I do JKD. But uh, I also uh, like to refer to the uh, Madigan martial arts family as. Uh, and, I, and maybe I shouldn't be using my name. That's actually a really good point because it's it's so much bigger than me. I mean, I'm probably at this point here the least important thing about it. Um, when you look at some of the guys that uh, train with me and have uh, taken what we do in so many awesome directions, you know, it's uh, I'm actually more proud of them than I am of me. So. It's uh, it's very interesting, you know. I uh, I like what you said, and I was gonna call my system, you know, how to stab people in the neck, foo, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It flows <laughs> off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call your system? How to stab people in the neck, foo. That's just ooh. Is that oh. traditional or modern <laughs> or modern? It depends. Uh, with each with, with each, well with each level, we use a different type of knife. 
And then when you graduate, I bestow upon you a jailhouse shiv. <laughs> and then you have gr- when you can take the shiv from my hand, then you may leave. <laughs> All right, who do you got for tonight, bro? Bisping or Henderson? Uh, I don't know, man. You know, it's going to be Henderson's last fight. So whether he wins, um, which if he wins, it would be amazing because he would actually get the middleweight title. Um, he, he says it's going to be his last fight, which is great because uh, Henderson had a couple really awesome wins. Like he just he, the last fight he beat uh, um, uh, Hector Lombard with amazing elbow looks like straight out of chum cue, like the rear hacking elbow is amazing. And and that was like, wow, the old Dan Henderson. And he's so tough. But, you know, he's like. He's in his mid forties. Forty-seven, and, I believe. Oh, 40s. Yeah, that's right. He's in his late forties, and I just and I love Dan Henderson. I've been watching him forever, and sure. the, I hate seeing old fighters get hurt. Like it, it breaks my heart when there's that moment when a fighter should not be in the ring anymore. I it ceases to be entertainment for me. I can't watch it for the spectacle of it anymore. Um, I would love for Dan Henderson's story to be complete because he had two strike force or sorry he had two pride belts he had the strike force belt and the only belt that evaded him was the UFC belt so I mean how beautiful would that be that the last fight of his career he beats Bisping a second time he gets the UFC belt and then he just drops the mic I mean that would yeah. just be po- that would just be poetic and nothing would make me happier having said that I mean Bisping is a much better fighter than he was the first time they met uh, Bisping is prepared Bisping has fought him before he knows what to watch out for and he's looked great um, I don't think Bisping beat Anderson Silva when they had that fight together i'm sorry uh, i think that that was a bullshit decision pardon my french um but uh you know bisping knocked out rock hold to get the belt so he definitely deserves to be where he is but uh just just the old just the old man in me wants to see uh henderson win this thing get the belt and then drop the mic you know that'd be beautiful i absolutely have mixed feelings about the whole thing i'm always been a fan of uh henderson and I'm not going to lie. I like a good shit talker. I think that's why I like Conor McGregor so much. And uh-huh. you know what? Bisping is the same thing. They kind of come from the same mold. And I, you know, listen, as Bisping said and done some things, I'm sure he's not proud of and things that I don't like. Yeah, of course. But you know what? I kind of, I just, I think in some ways that's really good for the sport. Um, but, it, you know, like you said, I really would like to see Henderson go out on top. He's definitely right. earned it. He um, he's been a, a soldier for the UFC for a long time, and uh, but I have such mixed feelings about this. I uh, I I don't know where to go. I, it's like one of these things I just don't don't know who to root for. And but if you're into the UFC, there's some good stuff coming up, man. Yeah, UFC yes. 20, UFC 205 is going to be a stacked card. Yeah, the, and, and and and, and um, Madison Square Garden. You know, it's crazy. Oh the God. tickets came out. I had my American Express corporate card ready to go to buy some tickets, and it was already sold out. Right. <laughs> it was just like, what? Like, what's? <laughs> my, my son John um, tried to get tickets, and um, the only ticket he could get was like, like five or six hundred dollars a ticket, and he was like, "Dad, I just, I just can't do it." And he's like, right. you know, right, 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 right. He's a he's a huge UFC fan, but he was like, I just I. But if you look at the card, oh my god, 
Yeah, the card looks amazing. Um, also, I mean, you know, for some of our listeners who are not in New York, maybe the whole idea of going to see it Madison Square Garden is not really a big deal for them. But for us, where MMA has been illegal in New York for the longest time, and it's finally legal, and now it's going to be in the biggest venue, it's a big deal for us. So, I mean, for us New Yorkers, we, you know, I if there's a UFC in Jersey or Connecticut, I I don't even bother going. But it's right. like, well, this is in New York, you have to go. But one thing we do have to realize, Sean, is this is just the first one. I mean, they're going to have regular UFCs at Madison. And Square Garden oh, now, yeah, be, so be you know we'll we'll definitely we'll definitely go and see uh, we'll definitely go and see one together. That'd be absolutely amazing. So oh, that would be awesome. That yeah, we should definitely cool. we should definitely go do that. Get some get some ringside seats and and uh, you know throw toss spitballs at Joe Rogan if he says anything bad about Wing Chun. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and sit, sit there ringside smoking cigars like gentlemen with Justin Timberlake. Come on, that's me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Perfect. Can you imagine on the Jumbotron when they see Justin Timberlake and then Big Sean Madigan and then some goofy short guy with a big ass head? <laughs> like, who the hell is that guy? <laughs> I mean, you know what? I, I have to make the news because, like, if yes. I saw that, I, that, that if I'm sitting next to Timberlake and they next thing they'll put him up on the Jumbotron, I'm going to grab him and kiss him or something. Just kiss <laughs> Or <laughs> punch him in the gut or something. <laughs> be on the news everywhere, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, brother, enjoy Italy. It's uh, it's been awesome chatting with you again. I uh, and folks, we are sorry we missed last week. Um, again, if you can on Facebook, please go to Dudes of Kung Fu, like the page, and send us questions and topics. We yeah for Sean. We enjoy it. Yeah, send questions for Sean, for me, general questions, also questions for Steve Golden, who's coming up. And uh, don't forget to like the page, share it, let other people know about it. Write us an amazing review on iTunes about how silky smooth our voices are and how you can't go to bed without listening to us first. You know, anything you want to write there is going to help us get more listeners. Um, by the way, there are a bunch of people who want to know how to get my books. Sometimes people write in. Uh, the easiest way is just to go to sifualexrichter.com. And uh, we have a link on there for the uh, for the online shop. Uh, for people who want to go directly to the online shop, you can go to wt-athletics.com. That's W is in William, T is in Thomas, dash athletics with an S at the end, dot com. And that's the direct online shop for all the crazy stuff you can get from me. Or you can go to sifualexrichter.com and stay up to date with all the cool uh, projects and stuff that I'm working on. And you can also stream the podcast from my website as well if you want to do that too. And for those of you that wrote in, and there's a lot of you, I appreciate it. I wrote in asking for autographed pictures of Alex and I. Um, we are in the process of uh, getting them printed up. We actually have uh, an idea of what we're going to do. I didn't tell Alex about that part yet, but I... Yeah, this is all news to me here. I'm going, wait, what? <laughs> do, you know how much, do you know how much I charge for an autograph usually? <laughs> <laughs> well, this one here, I think because I signed your name, so... <laughs> oh, okay, that's fine. Then I don't care. <laughs> it's, like on that, it's like on that checkbook you left here by mistake. <laughs> awesome. Anyway. All right, folks, we'll, hear you. we'll, we'll uh, talk to you next week and enjoy the week. Be safe. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.